everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, there is an explosion of connectivity seen due to Internet of Things in cyberspace, geospace, and space. This change to CGS connectivity, that means cyberspace, geospace, and space, is expected to grow the number of smart connected devices in large numbers and also in their nature. In addition, with prior web address limits lifted, innovative solutions are coming from across nations that will provide each of its components, that means government, industries, organizations, academia, within and across its CGS boundaries, a great deal of opportunities to explore, optimize, simplify, and control its benefit, usage, effectiveness, and risk. The growing reality today is that the value in CGS and competitiveness of any and every entity across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia can be enhanced significantly as they take a step forward in the digital journey to take advantage of these new innovative IoT capabilities, in short, to get the most value from IoT devices and the data it generates. The ongoing revolution of Internet of Things has the potential to fundamentally transform NGIOA and at the same time be shockingly disruptive to each individual and entity across NGIOA. This is a critical security risk facing each nation today and all of its components, not only today but also in the coming tomorrow. IoTs bring a whole new world of ideas, innovation, opportunities, progress, and development. The possibilities are powerful as IoT braces itself for being an essential component of human life, just like air, food, and water. With any new innovation, evolution, revolution comes additional opportunities as well as risk or new avenues of risk. Now, while IoT revolution is no different, it does create complex security challenges that have complex interdependencies for which we are yet to find effective answers. So the question is, amidst all the complex operational and strategic security risks, each individual and entity across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia face today and in the coming tomorrow, how will we be able to embrace the Internet of Things and the potential it brings for progress and development? To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome Rob Van Cranenberg. Rob is the founder of Council, the Internet of Things EU, and is based in Belgium. Welcome, Rob. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Wonderful, Rob. Now, explosion of CGS connectivity under the broad descriptor of the Internet of Things is currently rolling out across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia leveraging the enormous expansion of IP addresses through the deployment of IPv6. Now, as this new IP protocol moves internet addresses from a limited and carefully managed resource in a new platform without any restriction, it is expected to bring fundamental transformation of each and every nation and each of its component. Where is this explosion of CGS connectivity taking us? Well, um, well, where it's taking us, um, I think it it has already it, it's it has always been with us in a sense, and um, and I just want to go back to two things that you mentioned. So 
um, you've mentioned that uh, things are happening basically with uh, through nations and, and corporations and, and, and industries. And that's exactly where, where I come in or what we come in. So I founded Council in 2009 because I saw that there was too little individuals, too little, too little citizens taking part in all of this. And um, as we talk about 2016, we have the cheapest ecology of hardware, software, database storage, basically costing nothing, analytics, basically for free. So this is exactly sort of one of the key things that have happened in the past, let's say, 30, 40 years, is that um, whereas before only large corporations or nations or academia could afford to become wiser with these types of technologies, this is now actually possible with Arduinos, Raspberry Pis starting up, uh, especially if we talk about boards coming from all across the world, but also in India and China. Amazing amount of startups with basically no capital investment uh, needed. So I think that's the first, the first sort of um, important uh, sort of trend that has happened over the past 10 to, to 15 years. And then we also see that this Internet of Things, such as, is not really new. Um, it's been around for 50 years uh, under the names of ambient intelligence, pervasive computing, or ubiquitous computing. Um, it's basic automation, as we, as we see it. There's nothing really new about IoT. Um, but there's two fundamental trends that are new. And the first is, is that before 2000, all the IoT projects that were then called ambient intelligent projects or pervasive computing, smart gadgets, smart factories, smart home, it was all, all there in the 80s and the 90s, but there was no cloud. So um, all these uh, projects remained demos. It was simply impossible to actually take them to a larger scale or put them in the real world. Now around 2000, we get the cloud, which is this fast, fast storage capacity that is basically unlimited and that seems to be unlimited if we look at all the storage that's there on Google and Facebook and sort of what have you on Instagram and, and it's just impossible, but it is possible. We, get, we can simply store all these data. Um, this was impossible before 2000. So IoT basically is enabled by the cloud. It's not something new in itself, but the speed with which this is happening, and then it's the scope with which, and this is what you've also mentioned, IP version six. Um, and it's IP version six and logistics. So there's two main drivers that are driving this as a kind of technical force enabled by the cloud. So that's the first important thing is to realize for the engineers, when you talk about IoT, it's nothing new to them. It's actually pretty boring. It's, it's, it's like it's actuators and sensors, and it's, it's not rocket science. And sort of, they don't really, they don't really get excited by sort of all of this. Um, what they do get excited about is the scale, and this scale is then only happening after 2000, where you have two main drivers. The one is logistics and the supply chain, where you have the barcode, the QR code, near field communication, NFC, two-way RFID. You put your phone in a supermarket to a packet of coffee, you get information about the package of coffee. 
and you get that because it's a hard-coded URL inside the tag that and your phone is always on and you simply go and collect the page that's basically hard-coded embedded in the NFC tag and then of course it's RFID that we basically all know about so there's two main trends one trend is to and this really took me a long time to understand it's like to individuate every object on the planet which means every, the blouse you're wearing the, the necklace that you have my shirt uh, any glass, any 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 flower, any bottle of milk, every single tiny object will be digital, digitally addressable. And I guess we're to a certain extent already there. And everybody should take one minute, or at least two minutes at some point, to try to imagine what this will mean to a world that will basically have a mirror on top of it that's digitally addressable. And then the question, of course, is addressable by whom and for how long and for what purpose? And then the other driver, as you mentioned, IP version 6, is basically um, there because there's a huge flaw in the IP version 4 architecture that was thought out by Vincerf and Bob Gahn sort of at the end of the 70s, 80s, beginning of the 80s. Um, and there were two things very funny, fundamentally wrong with that TCP IP protocol. It was only built for speed, for speed and resilience. It simply says, pass on the packet. That's all it does. It doesn't care where the packet comes from. It doesn't care where the packet goes. It simply says, pass on the packet. Now, this explains the speed with which the internet has conquered the world. Um, on top of TCPIP, which is this, this protocol that simply says, pass on the packet, there's no security in the protocol itself. There's no reciprocity. Basically, it's only meant to be, to be resilient, to never ever break. And that's what's making it so powerful. Um, on top of that protocol, Tim Berners-Lee put HTML, www. That also just says, pass on the link. At that time, they were, um, like with the internet protocol, there were competing ideas in terms of the World Wide Web. There was Ted Nelson with Xenadu who said, well, this is, we cannot have a situation where everybody can sort of link to, to objects that may not be there. You have your broken links or of all these things. And um, well, that protocol won. So we have the TCPIP protocol, which is built for speed. On top of that, we have WW built for speed. And this is what has caused the tremendous, unsurpassed success of the internet and the World Wide Web as we know it. Now, just allow me one minute to go back into history <laughs> and just look at the book in terms of like the West, where you had the book like 1452, the Gutenberg Protocol, other Gutenberg Bible sort of printed for the first time. Um, now, the first public library in Holland and Belgium is 1918 first free public book lending in the UK is 1918. So it takes about 400 years for a society to adjust to a level of data sharing made possible by the book and also for the power structures to make schools, to make uh, universities, to make formats of quality like the thesis or the PhD or sort of like all of these things. Uh, libraries, education, and of course, way, took way too long, but it sort of you need that time. Now, this, what we've been seeing for the past sort of 30, 40 years, uh, and the speed of the internet and the WW um, 
shows that that now we have these protocols that have no more gatekeepers. They just move like wildfire through the earth and we've seen the consequences. Now this is just the net. So this is just computers, standalone devices in a way, um, smartphones. Now imagine that this type of connectivity will go to basically every object in your home. It will be your coffee machine, your smart lamp, your smart toothbrush, your car will be a hub, already is a kind of hub of connectivity. Your shoes will be connected to some kind of Fitbit or some kind of tracker, that sort of thing. And it's all happening as we speak. Now, I think, um, and this is basically why I set up council, is that this kind of transition is so enormous, is so disruptive, is so fundamental to the way that we've organized our societies. And we see that there's only led by one particular intelligence, which is basically the engineers. It's a fundamentally led engineering revolution. There's no other intelligence, there's no, there's no philosophy of Internet of Things running beside it. There's no sociology of Internet of Things running beside it uh, that is really investing what it does to work, what it does to jobs, what it does to, uh, what it's going to do to a lot of social organization and society. There is no psychological Internet of Things uh, running alongside the technical drivers and development. So the technology and the drivers are so far out um, and society and us as citizens, we are so far behind the developments that we need to bridge that gap. And that's basically why I set up council because I sort of, I was uh, about 15 years ago, I sort of noticed all these developments and I went to a lot of conferences. I went to a lot of uh, seminars. I only saw uh, basically engineers leading the discussion and I realized that um, that this is too fundamental and too important, that such a transition can only be led by one particular form of intelligence that's, that's actually building it. So we need, um, we need this to be a public debate. We need this to be a, um, a debate in, uh, in society with, uh, with politicians. Um, and we need, a, yeah, we need to debate this with a lot of more stakeholders than is currently happening. No, you're absolutely right, and that is a great background that you gave, Rob. And I, I, you made some very important points. One is that now anyone can, you know, develop this. The power of the corporation has disappeared. That you know they only were in control of the technology advances. Now each and every individual could be anywhere in the world. Each and every nation, they all have the power to develop these and to make a difference. And you're absolutely right that the advances are happening at such a rapid pace. And there is, like you said, you know, it's only the technology developers, visionaries, they are driving this change. There is no other parallel advances, parallel, you know, growth happening, you know, across uh, NGIOA or even the individuals to keep up with the pace of the changes that are happening. And that is one of the main reasons that we started risk, risk group and we started risk roundup so that we can have this intellectual, you know, informed structured debate about what are the risks we are facing. Because if you talk about security risk, it's not only the current, you know, operational risk that we are facing, but strategic security, the risk that we are facing are huge because 
each and every system that we have from financial to energy to uh, you name it you know all those systems defense systems all those systems and our businesses everything is at risk because the pace of change you know is coming our way is so rapid and is so huge so what is going to happen if we are not prepared any corporation that is you know with a mindset currently that okay our uh, in our business is doing great we don't have to worry about what is happening in the technology world then they would be caught off guard because the changes could be coming from anywhere you know the education industry to energy industry all these industries they are you know facing tremendous risk right now so you are absolutely right that organizations like yours and organizations like mine they are very very essential right now to understand to make sense of what is happening in the technology world and how can we be prepared to face you know the security risk that is coming our way now the the like you said that the all so many advances are already you know being implemented and they are already happening across nations and this growing excitement that the internet of things will bring uh, each nation the next industrial revolution because of the way it will change the way we the people or individuals will live we will work entertain shop and travel as well as how each entity across ngioa that means nations is government industries organizations and academia will interact with each other within and across their you know uh, cyberspace geospace and space boundaries so based on your experience and observation what changes are already implemented that excites entities across ngioa well um uh, well, well it, it sort of uh, it so happens that I just came back here from uh, from China two days ago. I was in uh, Shenzhen. I was invited um, by the uh, new um, association that is there between uh, Wuxi, the more industrial internet in China, and Shenzhen, which has, is very much about product and product design. So there's a design creative aspect, and um, well, I will come to that in a second because that uh, that is a key key moment. Uh, I think. Um, that is that is happening there, but just to go back a little bit, so I fully agree about um, with security being the, sort of the main risk, and then you also said strategic security. I think that's the key word. And then, if you allow me, just to go back one second about why the internet the internet started as such, why we have this protocol, and I keep going back to that because it's so important is that the reason why we have the internet is because the Americans were afraid that the Russians could take out their strategic uh, capability to strike back when they would launch a preemptive strike. And they realized that if the Russians were able to take out um, their command center, they could not strike back. So their um, solution was to build four command centers and to have all these command centers um, to keep the same data in real time so that it was impossible for the Russians to take out uh, or anybody else to take out the one center. That was the protocol, a real time sharing protocol between different nodes. So it was built for revenge. It was built for resilience. It was built for speed. It was never ever built for security. In fact, the protocol distributes insecurity as a default. So the fact that there's no security on, on the internet is not uh, a bug, it's a feature in, in, in this kind of thing. It really is a feature. 
that's also the strength of it, this resilience, this, this just pass it on. I don't care where it goes, I don't care where it comes from. That's the beauty that, that, that uh, Surf and Khan sort of uh, introduced uh, there. It was never, ever built to put a world on top of it. It's like building your house on ice. And if they would, and academics put email on it. Then people start putting stuff on it, like BBS. We, we, I was working with my father-in-law in the beginning of the 90s with bulletin board servers, and we tried to introduce the internet here in Belgium. And we found that the ISPs, the service providers, had already caught us a little bit too early. So they had already the connections going straight, building straight lines into the States and in the UK or things like that. And then again, then we have this WW, which for most people is the internet. But um, so running anything on the internet is, 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 is like a, is a hazard. And this is why we have this strange uh, situation, for example, in the UK, where the security industry sort of um, reports, the industry reports an 18 billion loss every year in terms of internet security. And then they invest the next year 16 billion to remedy the situation. So let's also be honest, it's a big scam. So uh, the people that it's not just that, that the hackers are looking for security companies and so that it's like everybody knows that, that it's fundamentally insecure and that it's impossible to build something on it. Now in comes the blockchain. Now the blockchain is, is, is another kind of protocol, but it has this reciprocity. It shows every stakeholder in a system where every ounce, every bit, every binary bit of data is. Um, and this is, it, so it's a fundamentally different protocol, and this is then what's happening. So if we look to places like Singapore, that are like smart nation, smart city, um, then we see, or I think the guess is, is that they're experimenting with situations like this. If you can look at China, China's building a China OS, uh, is building a large intranet inside of, of the country. It will gradually move away, as is the prediction, at least my prediction, away from the internet as a protocol, and it will start building its own large intranet within, in, within China, opening up, of course, to the internet as we know it, keeping, keeping APIs, if you want to call it, sort of in, in that kind of uh, application uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, metaphor. So they will build APIs to what is now the net, but the net as itself was never meant to last a hundred years. And it was certainly not meant to run a world on. Um, and so this is now what I think, so what, what this is what a lot of people are seeing, nations are seeing that, that this basic dependency on the net, on TCPIP, and huge assets, and basically all the wealth gathered now in Silicon Valley cannot, be simply a coincidence. So the fact that that there is that basically like yeah. most value is now with American over the top players, Silicon Valley over the top players, by fifty percent of all the data and all the services that people are do, doing in Europe are in the hands of American over the top players. Um, if I look at myself as an individual, uh, I pay taxes to a country. That country is supposed to protect me. It gives me a passport, so I have some physical integrity a little bit. But my digital identity, which is far more important at this stage, is not protected by my government. So why should I keep paying them taxes? 
So this, yes, well, these are very serious arguments and people are going to make them. Now, I'm not going to shout these out into the rest of the world. Basically, maybe I'm doing it now a little bit. We have to sort of calm that down. We don't want to alert people to the fact that basically governments have no more agency and they've lost their agency whatsoever. Um, and they still want people to pay taxes, which I think is fantastic. And I love to do that because, because I, I think it's very important um, to do that. There, there, some, yes, well, some people are going to say, so the strategic security that we're facing at this, at this day in the world is total breakdown of, of society, basically, and fundamental implosion, because the oil of the 21st century, which is the data, are in the hands of over-the-top players. And these over-the-top players are not going to invest in your local roads. Airbnb is not going to build social housing. Uber is not going to repair the potholes in your roads. But as long as everybody's using them, and then also in having them using your data, building aggregated services on top of that, play that back to you. Um, so you see the, the critical trajectory at this, at this age is, is, is an absolute urgency. And the only people that I see at this moment in the world addressing this urgency are the Chinese and the people in Singapore. The rest of the world has basically has no clue. And then I include the, my own European policymakers that are simply too, 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 too focused on sort of the old uh, indicators um, that are rapidly going down. So, um, so what's happening in China at the moment is that um, they are they are building a kind of cybernetic system that is the only way to actually harness all the things that are happening. So if we allow uh, semi-autonomous data analytics in our wearables to give us some feedback on our health, and we allow when we want uh, some data analytics uh, in our home to play us back some good scenarios, and we want some analytics on our mobility patterns to give us the perfect timing to when and where we should move. Um, then it's quite strange that we don't, still don't have this kind of support in autonomous decision-making or semi-autonomous decision-making in our politics. We still have people there that, that are, that are sort of, um, that are chosen on top of like indicators like having big ego or like having some charm or like being good on television, or like looking good on television. But these people have no more clue as to what is actually sort of happening. So the, um, if you look again, situation in China, the last uh, Chinese government, out of 12 top politicians, they had nine engineers, and this is the last government. Um, so basically what is happening there is that they, they realize that if they have a one billion people zone, then they need to harness the data coming from the people, the processes and the machines in that one billion zone. Then they can build their own over the top players like they're building within that zone, keep all the value inside and then work with that aggregated value. Um, if they are then able to support, to sort of export that model to friends, maybe in Russia or Brazil or so like the Brico, the Greek uh, situation, um that's the way forward so what i see for europe is is not so rosy um if we don't 
do the same thing with a 500 million zone. And we have the building blocks. We have an Estonian e-card. We can also um, start doing extremely hardcore man identity management. Uh, but, at this, uh, but we would say at this moment that that's either too paternalistic, like a social credit system in China, or we would say that uh, that's, not un that's really undemocratic uh, and probably will not do it. Whereas it's, it's really essential to grasp the, the full nature of this transition. Uh, and like I said, the only people that are grasping at the moment are the Chinese and the Singaporean government who are building their own uh, cybernetic systems to harness the value of their, of their own people. That's that's really interesting point that you made there. And uh, as you you know discussed uh, in the beginning of uh, you know before a few minutes about uh, the point that the security is no longer government is not in a position, irrespective of which nation, they are not in a position to provide security to all its citizens anymore. Security is no longer a government affair. It is an NGIO affair. Means each and every component of a nation industries, academia, individuals, organizations, NGOs, they all will have to work together to you know, provide security because, because of the interconnected and interdependent risk and variables that you know, each of these uh, technology advances bring us. So these are, this is an interconnected, interdependent economy now. And you know, we all are in this together. So none of us can manage our own risk you know, by ourselves. We will have to depend on others because of the nature of the cyberspace. So it's a very yes. interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting time that we are living and in now. Yes, but that's the beauty of the situation. If you look back, you see that you could also look at this as a, a, a huge trap. Yes. That it was like bait, and that um, that the bait looked like okay. Let's share some good movies. Let's uh, let's let's share some pictures. Let's share some text. <laughs> Um, and then you started sharing, everybody started sharing a little bit more critical issues. People said, okay, let's put our work environments on top of this. And then people said, mm, interesting, we have all these, these SCADA systems because they were always there, of course. Uh, like I said, it's basic automation, nothing new. And then people start to say, okay, maybe let's sort of, let's connect these things. So the, we really have to see that this is, this is a historical moment and this historical moment can also be remedied. And that's what the Chinese are doing. That's what Singapore is doing. They're taking back control in their own hands. Now, I would be the last person to say, because God, of course, I would love for the world to be peace and happy and, and this internet as a kind of fairy tale and roses and everybody sharing in the, but that's not yet the case. And if we look at the actual results of all this global sharing is moving a quarter to 30% of the current economic value to only one particular region of the world, the Silicon Valley. That's simply not acceptable. Also because um, the dynasty aspect, you may trust Larry Page, you may trust Sergey Brin, you may trust Vincent Cerf, and I think I trust them to, to a certain extent. And they're way better than any king we had in the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th century ever, of course. Uh, these are these are not people. These are these are people who actually who care about a, about sharing of data. That's, that's fundamentally true. But do I know their kids? I mean, do I know their nephews and nieces and families who are going to inherit all this, all their sort of stock and wealth and everything? Of course, they can put things in like a in like an association or something like a foundation, like Gates is doing. But who's picking the people in that foundation? I mean, that's Gates himself. 
So as a, as a world, we can simply not allow like five or 10 individuals that have grasped and just basically got lucky with their own protocol. Because I mean, Vincerf has been with Google since 2005. I mean, uh, building the protocol um, is simply unacceptable. So it's, if you look at it from that way, it's like a bad movie. It's like a B movie. It's like a huge hoax. It's like, it's like a big scam and, and everybody sort of fell for it. And of course, it's totally unacceptable that we, we, are, we now have to remedy the security situation because of a fundamental security bug in a protocol that we were supposed to, to have sort of to build everything on. So it's like, it, it's really like this, like this huge swamp. And then somebody takes you into the swamp and starts building a palace onto it. Now, who in his right mind would have, would, have, would have done that? Now, this is exactly what has happened. Uh, but this is because the nature of the digital and the fact that there was a swamp was only visible to a, a very, very small group of people. Now, leadership, real leadership, that, that you may not agree with in terms of what it's doing at, at, all, at all these things, but real leadership at this moment in time is about providing stability for your people. That's that's how I see it. It's very simple. Yes, very true. And I see that's the thing that when these objects in geospace, the physical objects, or the space, you know, components uh, of satellites and all that that are in the space, when they become embedded with sensors and gain the ability to communicate through cyberspace, the new information networks will need to create, you know, all kinds of new models from governance models to business models to, you know, business processes and new way of doing things. Now, while it is expected to increase speed, efficiency and opportunities, it will also likely reduce cost also. And uh, it will also bring a lot of risk variables. And one of that is definitely a strategic security that you know I am very concerned about. Now the security in the status quo that individuals and entities across NGI we currently observe is fundamentally at risk. So what are the strategic security risks that entities across NGI we face because of IoT? Because when I look at it, all these industries and all these products that we have, the processes that we have, the models that we have, even the government, the governance model that we have, I think they all are fundamentally at risk because of the potential of the, you know, cyberspace bringing all new kinds of models that are more effective, more affordable and more sustainable. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's basically, I think it's the three main issues. So the first is about about the strategic nature, nature of, of and the effects that it will have on everything. Now, um, the first observation that we, that we must make is that um, life is about, is about different and a variety of intelligences. So some people need some sense of honor. Some people need some sense of hard, real, physical work. Some people need some puzzles. Other people need... Uh, glory or all, let's say all these things and if you don't provide uh, that you will get a lot of lot of trouble because so what we have now is this full um, this full leadership of the engineer which is favoring the girl and the, 
and the guy behind the machine, rational, efficient, optimized, all of this. This is leaving out a large number of other intelligences. They're also losing jobs and, and uh, they are not being sort of careful, cared for. So I don't think we ever had a good combination in the world where in history where we had all these different types of intelligences, let's say the, the sages, the priests and the soldiers and the kings and the makers in a good combination. But now we just have the makers. And there's one thing that the makers have is that they can only optimize what's in front of them. So I, if you, if you, so they only optimize given situations. There's no transcendence in that thinking. That is, that's perfect. If you come from a situation of, let's say, uh, religious people or a lot of sages that believe in a lot of things that are not seen and they, they and they take you to certain directions, you get a, you get a, uh, um, you get a result from other people that say, no, 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 we're just going to trust what we see. We're going to trust my senses. That's who we are now. It's also a kind of, a kind of revenge of the nerds. It's a revenge of the makers that have been, had to sort of live in a world where they had to believe that things were happening there and there. And they just trust what they see. But trusting what you see is not enough in terms of providing for life, providing for the stories, providing for, you need a bit more. So that's number one. Um, so it's very tricky because the Chinese leadership at the moment is really good. There's a lot of engineers, but also put philosophers and sociologists and psychologists. So we need a lot more engineers in our politicians because we don't have engineers there. We have we have a lot of people in our in our politics, but we need engineers there. Um, at, at, so it has to be a balance. Uh, actually, I think it's too late for Europe or for for where I live to to actually. To, to understand what's happening and really, really, I think, I, th I don't think we will, we will be able to do it, but uh, that's also why I think I'm going to work in China anyway. Uh, yes. So I'm going to be happy there. <laughs> but um, now, and the second thing then is that, um, um, that, that, that everybody has to understand that we come from extremely bad situations with a lot of patterns and a lot of data being, and this actually created enormous wealth for just a few people. If we really look at what is produced and how it can be shared, and this internet of things will favor leasing instead of owning, and this younger generation is more into experience than in ownership, it's all sort of converging very nicely, then actually there'll be a lot of value in IoT, but there may be a little money in IoT because actually it doesn't really need money. Money is something that's tied to the book, it's tied to this, all these old indicators. In this blockchain type of IoT, what we will see is a lot of B2B, a lot of business to business, doing things, just swapping things, just, just swapping expertise, skills and resources and building new things. The people that are doing the new, creating new business models on top, they will just skim things on the top and they will just, they will take like um, more like micro payments and sort of like all these things. So, so the, um, this, what is really happening with this Internet of Things is actually showing the tremendous overhead of these bloated companies. It's showing that we are paying for like the trips of like 10 executives going to hotels or whatever, da, da, da. and I just, want the, I just want the thing, I just want the fridge. And that fridge can be built at this moment for like a fraction of the cost. And it can actually be as good as a Bosch or a Siemens 
but we don't need the overhead that these brands actually also take. So what's at stake, and this is like also that Jeremy Rifkin has come up with, with this, is like this, this in matter things is basically showing uh, everybody who's able to look at every moment across the chain that that there is not all this sort of all this sort of value that's on the stock market sort of thing is not there so these are like this is very this is really tough for people to, to understand yeah. that they're actually with introducing every sensor every measurement in their own production process they're basically taking themselves out because in the end uh, what will what will what will there will be such a lean product management such a lean process left and the object can actually be i can i can 3d print it at my home and sort of start installing it so so all these modes of production that basically made their money because they had patterns, because they had closed environments, because they could actually overcharge you for like yes. 40, 50%. Yes. They're going down. Yeah. And good riddance. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> now, the hard, <laughs> I, I agree with your assessment on that. You know, a lot of things are way overpriced. Now, yes. the heart of Internet of Things is machine to machine communication through cyberspace. Now, while it is being built on cloud computing and network of data gathering and sensors, it is mobile, it's virtual and instantaneous connection is going to make everything as we have been talking in our lives in cyberspace, geospace and space smart and intelligent. Now, IoT is expected to fundamentally change the way each NGIOA operates and does things as we have been talking. The governance and business models that are currently based on largely static information architecture will fundamentally face challenges as new ways of creating value arise across NGIOA in the coming months and years. Now, from your observation, who are the major innovators that are shaping this transformation globally? That's a, a key question because because there aren't so many real innovators because they they don't they don't dare. The telcos are simply trying to get um, as rich as they as they did with uh, when they introduced um, uh, cell phones and mobile uh, mobile phones. So um, when we went from 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 the old uh, style telephone telephony which I had at your home to this kind of cell telephony mobile phone into the world, uh, something very strange happened. So basically, in a company, in a, in a place like Holland, we could have, with a thousand masts, we could have covered everything and made, make everybody call for free because just a, a few masts basically cost nothing after a few years, it's all being paid for. Um, that didn't happen. So I was looking out my window and I actually saw five or six companies putting out masts because they still wanted to have the old business model where I was walking in the street, I was trying to make a call, and then I had some kind of provider, and that provider needed to reach me. So the six providers, seven providers, had to put up their own masks next to each other, totally insane in a way, beaming all that energy, just for me, just to bill me on the call. I mean, if they would have all started with a flat fee immediately, then they could have just introduced the whole thing with a thousand masts and then and then of course and then just switch the, to do the business model and then sort of sort of divide the, the money or something we would all be happy 
Um, now, the telcos, of course, they've got so fat and so lazy and so rich with, with this model. Just yeah. But they're trying to do the same now with, um, with the cloud. So they're selling you this, this logic, this magical thing, the cloud. The cloud is just a bunch of servers. It's, it's, it's basically it's nothing. They can be, actually, the cloud could be in, in this, in, next to you. So this is also what's happening. We now see these uh, decentralized cloud solutions that are actually just um, uh, using the computers that are in your, around you in your neighborhood. Uh, and then you use those because we, we all our computers are basically clouds, and we can we can we can we can use all this storage. Um, so we we will see a kind of um, a balance between um, sort of devices going to the cloud in real time immediately, and devices as it's called at the edge of the network that will sort of store a little data for a while and then start sort of beaming that. Um, but I think sort of. The innovation in the Internet of Things can only happen when when we have a real full situation. So I see Internet of Things as operationally as linking up the four networks. So you have a body area network, the BOM, where you have your wearables. You have a local area network, the home, the smart home. Then you have a wide area network, which is mobility. You have car, telematics, all of the, the mobility. And then you have the very wide area network, which is the smart cities. So you have the body, the home, the car, and the city. That's basically the four networks of, of, of IoT, and you want to connect those. So if you look what Google is doing, and again, Google, 2005, FinServe, building the internet, writing about robots in 1988 with Bob Kahn, so already thinking about intelligent objects in the 80s. Of course, we had pervasive computing, IBM. Uh, like I said, it's not something new. It's something that people are thinking about from the 50s, 60s, 70s. So that's also why there is this conceptual um, sort of advance of certain people, like in, like in Google, because they've, collect, they've basically done some kind of blueprint that was already out there. So Google, as the search engine, was a use case for the people that have now built Alphabet, which is the major sort of corporation on top of it. So again, look at what they are doing. They have a glass and a lens. So the data from the, your body are being stored in the Google Cloud that is for you, the glass and the lens. You go home. They had a power meter. Uh, that was a smart meter. Nobody knew about it. It didn't work. So they bought Nest for $3 billion. Uh, it was a kind of a strange story, as we know now, with Nessence, not everything happening with roses, but it will be in a few years, will be fine. And um, so you go home and you sync the data coming from your body, your health data, into the Nest seamlessly. It's the same space, it's the same cloud. Um, so now the home knows how you feel. So and this, all things can happen sort of from that. Then you go into your car. They have their own car. They're in three or four out of five automotive associations. They're in Gmail and YouTube. You can never ever buy a car, any car that does not have Google in it somewhere. So you go into your car and you sync the data from your glass and your lens that you don't even have to have on you, but it's already there in your home with the Nest knows how, where you've been to, what the, what you, where you're going, what you want to order for dinner and blah, 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 into the car. Then they have Google Orb. 
And with Google Org, they've been sponsoring every library in the world, every open data initiative. And Eric Schmidt is going to a lot of uh, mayor, mayors and talking to a lot of politicians, basically um, explaining sort of the, the, the Google vision. And, and, and the Google vision is that all the products are gateways linking up the network. So that is the, the operational definition of IoT. So as a company, you either have to be very strong in the network, like in the wearable, in the home, in the mobility, or in the city, or you have to be in the gateway. So you have to, and that's where you have to partner with people like Google, because you could not, if you don't partner with somebody like Google, you have to partner with somebody like Apple, who's doing the same, also working on a car and on things in the city and sort of all of that. So we'll see a few competing ecosystems. And I think our job to a certain extent is to also build one huge public ecosystem. So to make sure that these gateways remain in public hands. And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm also a small entrepreneur. So I've got, I'm fully, fully for entrepreneurship. But I've got some, I don't think this should, we should talk about the huge monopolies or oligarchies or things like that. And it's clear that the people who took advantage of the net and the flaws in the net in the first place have now reaped two, two big, two big um, uh, pieces of the pie and they have to be reeled in. Now, in Europe, people think that this is possible regulation. I think that's totally impossible because it's gone too far. So it's like the, the ball is already moving. You can keep regulating. What can you do? You find people. How weak is that? How basically how dishonorable? Because you find people for doing good things. Then they either don't pay, you put them in jail. Hmm. You're gonna put all these innovative people in jail from the valley? I don't think so. Then you then you give them some money, they have to pay a fee. That fee is like pocket change to them anytime. So they pay. So that's really it's not apart from the fact that it's dishonorable. It's also, it's not a really good, it's not a good way to go. Again, the only way to, to have IoT um, in a kind of uh, situation where you can get uh, large groups of people is that the government understands and that it works together with industry to build its own system, which is happening in China and Singapore. Yes. And yes. Um, well, if you don't do this, then the other logical trajectory will be 500 smart cities, gated military zones, and Mad Max in between. And this is a scenario that I've been writing about since 15 years, and um, that few people take serious. I hope I also don't take it serious myself, but I'm beginning to take it a little bit more serious, because you see the, the, the potential for this total disintegration. Yes. I think three years ago, I was in Rome. I was invited by the CIA, by, the, by their uh, public arm, sort of like the, the, the Global World Forum or the Global Future Forum, the GFF. And um, so I was in Rome with like uh, 150 intelligent professionals. There was police, uh, MI5, MI6, everybody was there. I was talking about in other things after me came Rick Hutley from VP Cisco, we basically said the same thing, which is like this analysis. And um, in the afternoon, there were four breakout sessions. And I was in a room with uh, seven or eight people, all really, really, really highly intelligent. And I walk into the room and I, I read that they wrote on the blackboard, 
the inability of the state to deal with the digital. So I said, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I rest my case. If that's your your uh, your analysis, that's the analysis that I and of course with me lots of other people made uh, ten years ago. So I'm, I'm I'm happy to listen. And then in the afternoon, all these groups came back, and they um, they listed the, their top main 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 uh, worries. Uh, only one was military. Two were do-it-yourself biology, and they're monitoring all the groups worldwide that are that are uh, involved with the do-it-yourself bio. But the other two was the total disintegration of the state because of its inability to deal with the digital. Now that was the analysis that the intelligence community was making three years ago. Um, it was a, a, it was a conclusion that that I and my friends we came up with, let's say, ten years ago, and it really worried me. Because I thought this is this is quite interesting. Because if if that's if, if this is their analysis, uh, and they are seeing all the data, and of course they see all the data, they see that that item level security is totally gone. But they also see that that the the philosophical layer, the real value, in terms of all the instruments that the state has, the state itself is going down, is no longer an entity that will be sort of the main entity in this kind, in this IoT reality. So if you see that, then you're only, and this is of course what the Chinese have seen a long time ago, already doing this type of five-year plan situation, already having always like half the, the cabinet consisting of engineers, so that they have, they always were able to to, to take it, and we were looking at that and thinking, "Oh, this is so paternalistic. Oh, this is so planning. Oh, this is so much control." And now everybody's looking and saying, "Oh, this is so stable. Oh, this can be so the new." Um, and again, I, I hope it's not too late. But but I was a bit worried then that they made this analysis because that's basically also what can happen in a country like India is that you will simply have. 600 gated communities, which already have, in um, in uh, in lots of lots of places, and they will be simply be strengthened, and the rich will go and live there, and as there then will also be no more state or no more public space. Yes, uh, it will be like zombie land. <laughs> anyway, now that's not a nice way to to. So, I think our job is to sort of not scare people too much into these scenarios. But to know that, it's an, that this is an underlying result of this digital transition, because it simply is too too disruptive and it simply is too far. It is. It is. It is. So it, it's not scare. about scaring. It's not. Mm -hmm. We are not trying to scare anyone. This is not about scaring, Rob. But we need to know all this. We need to have an informed dialogue so that we could figure out the solutions and we could be prepared. Because there are so many different risk variables that we are facing here. And we have, there are so many challenges that if we are not prepared, if we don't do anything, that would be more disastrous and more shocking to each and every individual and each and every entity. Now, one of the, you know, there are so many different risks that we could talk about, but we have only one hour today, so we will limit the discussion on all the risk variables. But one thing, you know, it really concerns me that we have so many diff hundreds of applications to in interface with hundreds of, uh, you know, IoT devices, or th maybe, you know, thousands, and uh, the numbers that I'm reading are probably, you know, it will reach more than 50 billion, that don't yeah. share protocols. They don't share protocols for speaking with one another. 
there are no standards and each and everyone is like you know we have been talking are developing this thing internet of things in silos you know there are large corporations probably will you know get together and uh, define some standards but now the whole development process is democratized as we discussed before each and every individual they could be anywhere in the world they have the power to create this technology to develop the tools uh, the iot things so yeah. how how would the you know world deal with that because there are no standards no but, but I, I, I i um i fully agree but again so we have to take a little step back and um and then then sort of we have to if we take a little step back and sure. simply simply try to imagine what we're talking about um it's very strange what we're talking about we we are talking about try to get some agreement in your street about two or three uh, trees that have to move or something or whatever and or try to get try to organize local waste management in your street and you see it's very difficult and you run into program sort of i do a lot of co-creation workshops with with citizens and end users in order to build real use cases not just the cases that the engineers are building but to try to get people in at the beginning also in the requirements of building the use case that's messy that's just weeks of just talking to people and that's just so um the fact that what we are trying to do is create some stand on a global level and the fact that we actually are able to think that or want that is a bit science fiction a little bit right so um again we will have the standardization only if as a system you own the gateways between the networks so if you're china or if you're singapore you build the infrastructure you decide the spectrum uh, that every every reader is talking you decide what type of sensors are being deployed which not and where you um you do not leave the role of of connecting the body and the home and the car and the city to a commercial entity you take over that role yourself this is the new politics so it is the new democracy democracy is no longer uh, one man one vote then then 500 people in a parliament somewhere talking whatever it's totally useless and ridiculous it's actually so ridiculous we don't even watch tv anymore i mean especially not the news and i don't think there's any point of talking to politicians our current ones because simply by the fact that they are chosen there by their ego and all their indicators these indicators will will prevent them from seeing the change because basically the change will take them out so the few the few people the few real leaders who understand what this means they know that that they are building a system that will give more um more power to sort of semi autonomous real time decision making that of course is also not objective in itself it has to be decided with a lot of people what the level of objectivity is that's actually getting all this data yes but um and this is happening in, again it's happening in china uh, because of course there's all kinds of i mean I'm, i don't have to, i'm not going to um make this into like a model situation or whatever but or be too romantic about it or naive because i'm i'm really uh, not but um but we need some people that understand that this is about something more than them it's not about their ego or about their belief nobody cares anymore what these people believe or if they are left or right or whatever or this or that 
it's, it's become totally irrelevant. Now try to tell that to somebody who is there thinking that he or she is in power. I've tried and it's not working, of course, because why should they believe you? They are, they are basically, they're protocols not to be able to believe you. So that's why I say we drop that and we bypass all these people and you find good people in the ministries that understand what's happening and you find engineers and this is really about a wake-up call for the engineers that are burying their heads in the sand, that are burying their heads beyond their own sort of small projects and small gadgets that are still building their own silos. Yes. And they know that, I mean, they have to come out and take more responsibility for what they're building. You can yes, not... So that's, I think that's the key. The key is that you go to your IIII uh, India and you go to your IIII basically everywhere and there's like thousands and thousands of brilliant, brilliant professors and engineers in India. And if they don't take over, uh, then they will also be taken out themselves in a particular, after a particular while. So they have to become more political, not political in the sense of being elected, but political in the sense of taking responsibility for what they are building. Yes, yes, that's absolutely. Really, so that, I mean, that's, a, that's something that could happen. And, and that, yes. that, that, this, this should happen. It should happen. It, it, it should happen. Now, there's also this growing fear that there are billions of these devices are in the process of being connected together through the internet or cyberspace without effective security controls. As we have been talking, there are no security controls. There should be secure, you know, security first architecture means right from the design phase there should be, but it's not there yet. At least some organizations are taking initiatives now and making an effort to go there. But at this point, without effective security controls, tools, processes, and framework, we are not in a position to identify the critical security risk that is facing each one of us. So, um, and the challenge is that it, uh, without all these tools, processing and framework, it is not only the information and data that is at risk, but everything in cyberspace, geospace and space is at risk. Security is a critical risk and a growing concern. It is becoming a growing concern for IoT. So how will the security community deal with such complex security challenges? that could impact each one of us because as i mentioned before that these are interconnected interdependent security risk and not no single organization or no single government or you know country can manage this on its own we everyone has to work together and we still lack the risk integrated security centric risk management framework well we have proposed a you know framework that would integrate everyone's effort in this it's an integrated ngio security centric risk management framework cyber security uh, risk management framework but that is a thought leadership that we have put out that you know this is something that could work and the cyber insurance the insurance industry can play a very significant role in ensuring that this kind of framework or it doesn't have to be our but these kind of framework that interconnects and in, integrates everyone that every organization who is trying to purchase cyber in, insurance policies they need to first and foremost you know implement in effective integrated risk management framework and and do the everything that is within their power to manage 
the independent risk that the organization faces on its own they should manage themselves they should not be able to purchase or buy insurance policies to manage the risk that they can manage on their own only the interconnected interdependent risk which any organization cannot manage on their own and has interdependency that should be there should be cyber insurance policies available for that so we have put out the thought leadership for both the cyber insurance as well as the cyber security risk management framework because without having the framework and tools even if you know entities identify risk and they know that these are critical security risk that could impact their sector their you know industry their nation but because of the you know liability risk and legal risk they're not going to share that because they so, don't want to get involved so unless we put together a proper structure proper framework and proper incentives this is not going to succeed so we do need this kind of you know initiatives yes absolutely so again i must refer back to the conference in china but um so they're talking about putting the bank at the heart of the system but not the normally normal bank but a peer-to-peer -peer lending system uh, that is again the blockchain type of, of protocol situation so there's 140 um trillion rmb in the savings at the moment that people are not going to spend because they don't trust the situation and they're also um there's there been a lot of scams so for the chinese the internet, of, the internet of things will bring truth will bring a mirror of objectivity to the situation it will it will allow people to see um not giving people loans on basis of uh, land or or assets but on basis of motivation the demonstrated work capacity that people are actually showing through being monitored at some at, at some way which you always think is very negative which can also be very positive if it's monitored in a in a situation where a lot of stakeholders are, are building it. so again um, this is not something to do lightly you cannot build a cybernetics or a matrix lightly you have to but you have to you have to make the, the you have to make the thinking a if we don't do it it may be a full disruption only a few people can get out of it if we do it then we have to do it right um so again talking about insurance there was talking about insurance we're talking about banks it would but what i heard there was also like insure with iot a lot of less accidents can happen we can take them out in advance so insurance also becomes something different um we may know that you've been drinking as you're driving and so the car may stop and things like that so all of things all these things can happen sort of as well again it's about having a kind of system vision you may you may you may find a good uh, city council and and try to build this kind of blockchain city council with with like with the with like bombay or delhi or some other sort of big uh, city it doesn't have to be the country immediately but sort of you, you can but again the um interoperability can only be fostered through hardcore standardization and top-down management so the balance in iot is about the really good balance between top-down and bottom-up i come from a bottom-up environment i come from a lot of um, activist backgrounds uh, we set up a hacker network in 2004 precollapse.net and all my friends now are building they're building tools so one of the things that we're building is um, a router which is called DAOs, DAOs.au. 
And um, because if you look at the beginning of the net and you talk to Peter Kirstein, who was the one who introduced the net in uh, Europe, he basically knew, as he, as he said in his own sort of speech a few years ago in, in, in London, he knew of this little tiny company called Cisco that was then somewhere around in the States with like three or four people. And they could do something and he called them in and we know the result. They're in the, they are in the router. They are in the sort of in the connection. They are in the interface to your home. So we've built our own router, which is an alternative router. And it takes over immediately after you connect to the internet. And we take over the full uh, capacity of looking what, what's going in, in, on inside your home. So if you go to the page dows.dowse.au, you also see a smart uh, movie of a setup we had in Toronto where there's people looking and somebody at some point says, hey, your fridge is very noisy. And then we can actually see that the fridge is trying to connect something out through the router to the outside. So what we're going to offer to people, and this DAOs will be a box that you can buy for 20 euros or even less, and you plug it in and you plug your computer into it. So what we are building is, um, it's also faster than your current router. Um, we've done some tests and it's, it's fast, faster than the sort of the, the your ordinary router. But, but it, it allows us, um, and it allows you to see what's going on in your home environment. Now, we don't want people to close off. We want people to share. So our vision of the Internet of Things is more like an Internet of Neighborhoods, where you have a decentralized cloud, you run your own cloud with your own neighborhood, which could be anything like 100,000 people or something that to make it. Uh, then in that 100,000 zone, you have your own platform. You could put all your sharing tools, sharing cars, uh, all these things on it. People can share. Uh, shopping. There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stress of people going for groceries, so you can actually you can start um, uh, saying what you want to have, and people can start bringing that and all of these things. Uh, the stress in our cities daily is people taking children to school. So that's basically these are the real worries of people. These are the real stress moments of time. They have to take their kids to school because they don't want them to bike because there's they feel insecure on their bikes and things have happened and. Kids have got killed in traffic. Of course, they're adding to this with their own cars, taking their kids to school, so that less people are not taking their kids to school or by, by allowing them to go on a bike. And these are kids that are already not leaving the eyes of their parents because they're all within reach of their parents all the time because they, they, they're not allowed to go outside on their own because of the, 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 the stress that everybody's having with, every, with all the things that are happening and everything so insecure. So imagine that you have your neighborhood platform and there's a few students and you pay the students to bike the kids to school and then mom and dad can go to work. I mean, these are the real things that people are, that you can actually help people with. Sort of like you can have so people that are home alone um, uh, on their own, sort of like uh, that people could come and visit and sort of talk to. That is the real e-health. So we're very happy to build some kind of transition down uh, sharing plus Internet of Things, right? So it's, it's really looking at all this sensor um, capacity to really, really, really uh, take a lot of uh, energy out of, of that's unnecessary to go to some kind of circular economy, just tracking all the waste and sort of all these things. It's all very happy and all very, very possible. So if we have this, in, that's what we want to also achieve with this DAO's box, is that we, want to, we don't want people to close off. We want people to share 
But we also realize that people will share if they know what they are sharing. So we're offering them a full view of what goes in and out of their homes, and at some point also what goes in and out of their wearables. Um, and we've already seen some nice results. So we see a lot of uh, things, uh, tracking things happening, but that's not so bad in itself. Um, what we do see is that, um, that, um, that, that this could be a kind of building block of trust on which this Internet of Things can be built, because we really want this Internet of Things. But no, we want to have it, yes, we want it in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that information, because it's, uh, I think it will be very useful. Uh, uh, Rob, I have taken so much of your time, and this is such a topic, and there is so much, there's so much to talk about, to be prepared, to understand the risks that probably we can talk for a couple, several days, you know, at the same time. And we still won't be able to finish the, you know, all the area that we would like to talk. So, uh, because, you know, the risk roundup, we li like to keep it at one hour. This is the last question, uh, that if you had the power to change how IoT, uh, security risks are managed, or how IoT is embraced today, what steps would you take? I would, I would push the button. I would, I would, I would, I would stop it immediately, and I would put a like a ten years embargo on all developments. <laughs> and, and I would say, look, look, we've got to get everybody to the table, United Nations level or whatever, sort of like all the engineers, sort of, got to get them all to the table and say, look, okay, we we, we really prepare the citizens to have everything monitored because most citizens are doing great. And it's actually just a few people that are not doing so great. They are the ones in trouble. So all the fraudulent people, all the people with their with their huge overhead, all the corrupt people, they will be taken out by IoT. Just not not ordinary people going through their simple lives trying to make a living. They'll be fine. So we we just have to to say that look, there's nothing wrong with all this privacy security. I mean, for most like for basically all normal normal simple people, it's not an issue. It's just going to be an issue for the ones that are actually creating all this trouble now, yes. right? So that is true. I would love to see, for example, in the United States, like every 50 cent of every dollar goes to the military. I would love to, to, to really track everything there and see sort of what type of overhead is actually working in, in these types of situations. When I had friends in uh, Indonesia, they would love to have RFID in banknotes. They would trace the corruption of, of a lot of politicians that are, that are having all this uh, all this money, and so there's nothing wrong in itself with monitoring this environment as long as we all um, have very good conversations uh, about it and realize that the indicators on which we now have leaders are only the relevant indicators. That the uh, qualities of the engineers are much nicer. They're nice people. They really want to see some transparency, they are very egoless, they are, da -da. but because of these great qualities, uh, they now have to sort of kick some ass, basically, <laughs> and, and grow a little bit of ego and, and, and say, look, um, we don't really like what you're building with our stuff. So we want to really take, uh, we really want to build this kind of um, system, tracking all resources throughout uh, world deploying them where they are needed according to some really good goals like climate change and like, uh, like talent development and that's all possible so i'm very positive so really because uh, breakdown is always around the corner 
yes. but we never yeah so we're always there so you can worry about it uh, you can always worry about it but yes. um we never had so much potential uh for building a new network that that is the key that technology now has so much power to solve pretty much every big you know major problem that we have exactly. in the world so let's hope that you know technology is able to do that and that we put together the ecosystem around this technology that has so much power so that you know those innovations and ideas that we have about these technologies and that it succeeds and we are able to create a whole new uh, much safer much more you know uh, collaborative much more powerful world that is that everyone can benefit from so rob thank you so much your uh, what your insight and ideas and the information that you shared today is definitely you know going to help our global viewers and listeners understand the internet of things and all the challenges and all the benefit that are you know around that and in, uh, what what individually they can play a role and how they can make a difference in their respective nations so thank you so much for agreeing to come on risk roundup and sharing your valuable insight rob Thank you very much. If only to say that uh, that I'm here again now. It's like 30 degrees we have now again. So we have like climate change already again at this uh, this stage. So we are definitely we need to do something. So fully agree with you. But I think um, I think yes, we must hope, but we must also do it. Yes. And uh, I really think uh, you're doing great work, and you're also um, I think like me trying to get this all these things uh, going. And that's that's very important. So I think. Um, Thank you for 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 raising these issues at this level. It's tremendously important. So thank you. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. Now, when billions of devices are in the process of being connected together, and when machine intelligence will take control of data analysis and more, what can we, the humans, do to make sure that our ecosystem is secure and can survive and sustain? With the broadband internet becoming more widely available across nations, the cost of connecting to the cyberspace is decreasing rapidly. More and more devices are being created with Wi-Fi capabilities and sensors that are in, built into them. Technology costs are going down and smartphone penetration is skyrocketing. All of these things are creating a perfectly secure, perfect security risk playing field for the internet of things now while the iot revolution is here and holds the potential to empower and advance nearly each and every ngioai that means nation is government industries organizations academia and individuals any device connecting to the internet with an operating system that is not secured is vulnerable to security risk Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, is government, industries, organizations, academia, in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if you build a culture 
of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together for more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or to hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.